This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. When we talk marketing this week with uh, Barbara Kahn, marketing professor here at the Wharton School and co-host of Behind the Markets every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern time right here on Sirius XM 132. Barbara, great to talk to you again. Yeah, it's fun to be here, Dan. Hello. Hello. Great to see you again. All right. So uh, let's start out with Amazon and Meta. And there's apparently a new partnership uh, between those two uh, social media entities. Uh, that is really focusing on Instagram and shopping on Instagram for people that have Amazon accounts. I think you've talked about kind of this connection between retail and social media in the past a good bit, and this is seemingly taking kind of the next step in that process. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this in China where they have these Uber apps and their social media apps are tied to marketing platforms and they're incredibly successful. You've always been able to shop on these social media platforms before, but the idea of attaching it to Amazon, that's that's not just shopping. You know, that's shopping on steroids. And so you're getting access to the everything store and you're also getting incredible data and data sophistication. And the idea of seeing, you know, Meta and, and Amazon linked, even though they say they're not merging all these data, that's a little bit kind of mind blowing to think about what these two entities can do together. So who knows, you know, in terms of what they're promising on privacy or this or that. But when you're getting a big, the database that Facebook or Instagram has in social media tied with the incredible databases that Amazon has, well, hopefully they can do something good and productive with it. Well, this also goes to that consumer experience that you've talked about a lot because they're talking about doing these sales for people who have an Amazon account without them having to leave their Instagram account. I mean, usually you had to, you would see something advertised, you would click on it, it would open up a new window, you would, you know, go do the purchase that way. Now they're talking about opening this up really just in your Instagram experience, which again, as I said, that seems like that's kind of that convenience for the consumer. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because Amazon is designed to minimize the time you spend on the, on the site. So they make shopping as easy as possible. They make your comparisons really easy. You can get in and out and buy what you want as quickly as possible. The old adage in retailing has always been keep people in the store, put the milk in the back of the store, keep people engaged because the more engaged they are, eventually the more they'll shop. So this is kind of a way to take that Amazon efficiency and put it in an experience that is supposed to be engaging and keep you online. So it, it could result in a lot more sales. And as you said, that data component becomes even more uh, important because of the, 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 the strength of both of these companies and that there's probably going to be some data sharing along the way here. Uh, you've really kind of opened it up even more for both of these companies to have even more con uh, connection with uh, consumers. I do think there's going to be have to be some oversight or something because seriously, that's pretty scary. The amount of data Amazon and Facebook or Meta have together. Um, and so, you know, I don't know what they're promising or what they're saying and who knows about how all of this is actually implemented back and forth. Meantime, Amazon's down at the FTC under, you know, antitrust kind of issue as it is so we'll see how it goes yeah so how much do you think this is going to continue to be a focus by the government as we move forward here especially as we you know expand 
our connection in social media with retail. And obviously there's, you know, growing conversation around AI and we're going to see that continue to play big uh, in retail as well. But you would think there, there has to be a greater focus from Washington, D.C. at some point on all of these different touch points that are out there. Yeah, and no, I think they are looking at it. You know, where the the big issue is 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 it anti-competitive? Um, because maybe in the short run it's increasing the customer experience, but if in the longer run it it makes it so that there's not really any a real competition out there, and everything is done through these bohemists, that's a scary thought. And the way it's supposed to work is the invisible hand of the marketplace. You know, so right. if something gets too big and too powerful it usually involves you know there's usually scrutiny and and people break up such things right now you know for a while there amazon was super strong and facebook was super strong but both of them have kind of stumbled in recent years they're not quite well i don't know if they stumbled amazon certainly hasn't stumbled maybe facebook yeah. has but um they're not as strong as they once were they're at warm walmart is a form formidable competitor you know ironically even old-fashioned costco is a formidable competitor so you have you don't have everybody buying in just one place yeah. um but but like things like this you start to wonder i would assume that this potentially opens the door for companies like walmart and target to try and explore these types of relationships here in the next several months that we might see something coming on board as well and then I guess you get into the perception of what each of those retailers are, what they provide, and what you expect to get from them as to which one of the three probably carries the load. And, and I think the expectation is that that Amazon would, would probably be the one that would do the best. Yeah, well, I think what really draws like what you're saying, yeah, there's, you know, you're suggesting the differentiation, the branding between them, and you're making a decision. But the truth of the matter is that they have these loyalty programs and they make it really easy to repeat. And once you kind of get in, into the habit of something, you're kind of locked into that loyalty loop. So that's where I think it really gets to play. If, like you were saying, if people are already on social media, they're on Instagram a lot, the idea that they're developing that habit and then they don't have to leave and they can go shop within Amazon, that just makes it stickier. Uh, we're getting uh, towards the NFL playoffs, and that means the Super Bowl is going to be right around. And we know the Super Bowl means lots of marketing stories as well. Uh, one that uh, Bud Light announced uh, just a few days ago is that they're going to be doing a concert with country star Zach Bryan in Las Vegas around Super Bowl weekend. Now, there's really kind of two stories I wanted to discuss with you here. One is this continued try and build back by Bud Light. But two, just I think what the Goliath of marketing is going to be around a Super Bowl in Las Vegas this year. So let's start with the Bud Light side of this and this build back that they continue to try and do after some of the controversies that they've had in recent months. Yeah, I mean, I think they're doing it slow and steady, going back to their roots, obviously partnering with Zach Bryan at the Super Bowl is going back to their core football country consumer. Um, and so it's clear who they're who they're reaching out to, hopefully without alienating any of the other customers. But part of the problem with the original version was that they didn't double down on anything. They used an influencer that antagonized their core customer, but they didn't 
re, you know, they didn't reach out to their core customer. They didn't reach out to the new customers they were trying to bring on board. And they ended up angering everybody and losing significant market share. Now, as I understand it, slowly but surely, their market share is rebounding and they're doing better. Um, so I think they would, the best thing they can do is kind of stay out of the controversy and let people go back to drinking their Bud Light. But this is clearly a reaching out to their core customer. And part of this is also that connection that that Budweiser has had with the military as well. Part of this is a partnership with Folds of Honor, which obviously is a connection to the military, supports scholarships and such. And so that is that other really base connection that Budweiser and Bud Light are looking to build on. Right. And all of that are their historic roots, you know. And so I think they're just trying to get that back. I mean, one of the reasons this started in the first place, one of the reasons the CMO reached out and started doing uh, some different type of marketing was because their numbers were getting soft. People were moving away from Bud Light. The, the beer industry is changing. I mean, now there's a growing no alcohol segment. For a while there, the hard seltzers were, were, were taking market share away. And, you know, it's a very competitive industry. And if you don't keep innovating and keeping your loyal consumers loyal, but bringing in new consumers, you run the risk of losing market share. So I think they were trying something new. And I think this is going back to the basics. Now, let me ask you about the other side of this, because with the Super Bowl in Las Vegas, and look, the Super Bowl does big business every year. Uh, and, and probably when it's in the more resort areas, it probably does probably a little bit better. But a Super Bowl in Las Vegas uh, just screams to me that there are going to be just tidal waves of promotional ideas that are going to occur, especially now that you have something like the Sphere in Las Vegas, a great venue that uh, U2 has been playing at the last few weeks, uh, that is just drawn the attention of so many people when they're thinking about Las Vegas right now. Yeah, it's hard to imagine the Super Bowl getting any bigger, though, because it's such a huge event. I mean, I think this just adds fireworks and excitement to it. But it is a pretty incredibly big marketing event. It's really the you know the time when people pour money into advertisements and the advertisements are played before the Super Bowl during the Super Bowl after the Super Bowl there's a Super Bowl you know halftime show there's all these opportunities so much discussion i mean it's just been growing and growing and growing and yeah maybe this will add a little icing to the cake but it's yeah. a huge huge cake to start with it, 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 let me just ask from your perspective as as a marketing professor having something like the sphere and the advertising possibilities on the outside of that to show that to everybody in las vegas that's an it's an incredible entity to have there yeah yeah i mean it's it's like old-fashioned marketing it's um broadcasting kind of marketing where you're really putting your brand out to everybody and some of the big brands like you know like bud light or like pepsi's historically been there apple those are Broad, broad brands. Those yeah. are brands where getting out the name to everybody is efficient. Most marketing nowadays is getting very segmented and very niche. So, so there aren't that many opportunities where you can take this really broad brush approach that's kind of used to be old-fashioned marketing, you know, where everybody watched the same three networks. Right. But this is one time where you really do have just practically all the eyeballs on the globe focusing on one event and you got to do what you can with that 
And by the way, they have an F Formula One race coming up there this weekend to just add to the experience in Las Vegas over the next few weeks as well. So they've got plenty going on there. All right, Elf Cosmetics, uh, they are getting into the world of Roblox uh, with a new campaign that they have. Uh, But it's interesting because it's connecting uh, their company, uh, trying to connect to a younger user base by using financial literacy and entrepreneurship as kind of the hook here. Yeah, but and they're doing it in Roblox, as you mentioned, as a gaming thing. So I think that's interesting. They're trying to cater to their core customer in a productive way. You know, the financial literacy, that's great. But they're also doing it in an experiential way and partnering up with Roblox. So they're really getting into the gaming space. Cosmetics and beauty and this company in particular, it's always about innovation. When you're with youth, you always have to come up with new ideas. This is not a a category that stands still. So I think coming up with something new and different and engaging and helping and productive and you know, something that's going to really cater to another aspect of Gen Z, their entrepreneurial streak. I think that's a really interesting, smart idea. We'll see how well it goes down. Um, but it's nice to see them kind of looking at it in a more holistic way. Is that a relatively new kind of concept is connecting the gaming with something like financial literacy or entrepreneurship and and thinking about, you know, how in the world of Roblox, you could start up your own business? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this gaming idea is coming in in a lot lot of different places. And some of the ways it makes sense is in this financial environment or you I've even seen it in healthcare environment. So things that are pretty usually people think of that as high involvement, very cognitive, you have to make a lot of important decisions. People don't like to engage in these categories. A lot of people don't like to think about, you know, their finances. It's kind of hard. And that's why we have some financial literacy among youth. They just don't want to be bothered. And certainly in healthcare, that's a stressful environment. But if you link it into an engaging game, and help educate as you go along, it may be a way to communicate information that's difficult to communicate in a way that people can really take in and absorb. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Build-A-Bear, which is a company that uh, has been around for a couple of decades now, uh, was obviously a big part uh, of the retail uh, segment uh, in the uh, late 90s, but has continued to go very strong Give us your thoughts on, on how they have kind of been able to, to continue to be strong. And, and really, they have kind of kept the same concept. But from generation to generation, there seems to be a connection here. Yeah, it's really kind of amazing. They're definitely a mall staple. And so like during the pandemic, when the malls were kind of closed, this was a, a retailer that was hurt by the pandemic because it's a very physical, in-person kind of experience where you go into the store and you actually literally build a bear but they are really leaning into the core experience and it is engaging and it evokes feelings of comfort for people at all all ages and i think they also uh, built on some they 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 caught a wave and they were on something one product in particular i think was pumpkin kitty uh, which was something that they re-released. And I don't know that much about the product, but I know it was hot, you know? So there's a little bit of luck in catching the wave in some of these things. But I think at the base, the story is not just being on, on a lucky a lucky hit. I think that this idea of the core, what it was doing in the beginning was, you know, getting in, touch and feel in a fun environment with these, you know, 
plush animals that people love. Some of them are limited editions. You know, it's kind of yeah. old fashioned marketing, old fashioned physical experience. And it turns out that if you do it right, it's not only good for kids, it's good for adults. That's a little bit surprising, I think, but you know, more power to them. Yeah. You've got adults that are uh, kind of in the collector mode right now that are, are thinking about still purchasing uh, some of these uh, special edition bears when they're coming onto the market as well. Yeah. I mean, I am a little surprised that that's going, but I'm not surprised that the core experience is so valuable. I mean, it was a great idea when it started, like I said, the pandemic hit them a little bit harder than others. And the fact that they're in mostly malls and malls don't have the same life that they once had, yeah. but still, I think it's offering a unique experience. I don't think there's that many other competitors to it. Well, that so that brings up an interesting question is that then does a company like Build-A-Bear really have to think longer term about where its success is going to be when you do have something like the malls, which is you and I have talked about in the past, it's not the same experience as it was, say, 20 or 30 years ago. No, but you know, what's happening is the better malls, what they call the A malls, they're doing okay. And they're becoming more and more experiential. And they're a destination in and of themselves. You go to spend a day there, an afternoon there. And if that's where the Build-A-Bears are, which I suspect they probably are, then it's kind of part of this growing experience. You know, people think of retail as something to do on the weekends or an evening things or something to do with friends. And to that degree, they may be in the right place at the right time as the malls reshift what they are doing. I, I think the B and C malls are the ones that are crashing because it's so much easier to buy that stuff online. Right. But anything that's really experiential and done well, I think will survive. And Build-A-Bear is something that has a long legacy. Uh, finish up talking about Uber, which I think a lot of people would be surprised to know. It wasn't until uh, the summer of 2022 that Uber actually started to do promotion and uh, use TikTok as a platform. Uh, how valuable could TikTok be for a company like Uber, Barbara? Yeah, I mean, TikTok is really, really strong with the younger consumers, and they do make these kinds of decisions via their TikTok experience. So they choose places to go. They choose restaurants. They choose activities. They they choose brands, et cetera, through the activity on TikTok and understanding and getting involved in that platform and understanding how it works. That's going to be important if Uber keeps up their brand name. I mean, as far as I know, Uber's still not profitable like i'm not sure it's you know i mean yeah. it's doing well um but like that it's a difficult business and you got to make sure people are still engaged with the brand and they still want to call an uber instead of a lyft or a taxi or whatever else they're using um and so they really have to keep the loyalty and they have to keep the brand so you're look, looking for the you know the advertising platforms that work and tiktok works yeah well you know it's interesting because when you think of Uber, there's really a couple of components that you have to look at. And the one that actually is doing fairly well right now is Uber Eats. So they have an uh, ability to be able to make that connection with the consumer through the foods that they meet through different restaurants uh, to be able to benefit the, the company as a whole. Yeah, I mean, it's really, you know, building on TikTok, learning how to do it. I think they hired some people to learn how to do it. And they did really well, as I understand. They gained a lot of followers pretty quickly. Um, 
it's really a brand name game. You know, you got to keep your brand name top of mind. There's a, there's competition in this business for sure. And what you want it to be is the first thing that comes to mind is Uber, you know, and then people go and do it. Maybe they don't price compare or whatever at that point. They just do it. So I think the way people use Uber Eats or Uber is a real top of mind experience, which means you've got to build the engagement. You've got to build the brand. All right. Barbara, great to talk to you again. Thanks very much. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks, Dan. You got it. Barbara Kahn, marketing professor here at the Wharton School and co-host of Marketing Matters every Wednesday, 5 p.m. Eastern time right here on Sirius XM 132. To explore more content from the Wharton School, visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 